Hello, travelers. This is Paula Schmidt, and welcome to my theater of the mind, Evening's Kingdom. In today's episode, Uma has a major vision, and the great gathering of Chiriklo from all across the kingdom make their crossing towards Ulali to seize the ancient castle back from the occupying Yang forces. First, some crazy, amazing news. Spotify's wrap-up for 2022 included a statistic that shocked me. <laughs> this is a teeny-weeny show with yours truly a very inconstant host who does rather constantly disappear to write instead of podcast. And therefore, we have not even <laughs> close to 30 episodes, but 3,000 downloads. And you guys are tuning in from all over the globe, the Philippines, France, Germany, Sweden, Australia, hello. <laughs> and even though I am a singularly terrible promoter, somehow you are finding the show. Is this magic? No, it's you guys. It's you. Because Evening's Kingdom is in the top 20% <laughs> most shared podcasts globally. And this is just via Spotify. And only about 10% of you guys are listening via Spotify. So, thank you. I'm so happy that you want to come and nerd out with me because I love to nerd out with you. I apologize that I don't post more often. I do think about you often. And I hope that counts. Thank you for telling your friends. I hope they like the show too. And... We have a new review from Life Anne via Podbean. Life Anne writes, I am completely immersed in the story. This is a mesmerizing tale that meets every characteristic I look for in a fictional podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Life Anne. I got your note on a kind of cold, gray December day, and your words lit me up to the moon. May Evening's Kingdom continue to mesmerize you as the story unfolds. I'm so honored that you're listening. Thank you. And <laughs> as I complete recording books one and two for you all here, I'm making a pivot again. <laughs> as is probably apparent, this whole quest is one idealist's grand experiment, just exploring what works, you know what is effortless versus effortful. I talked about self-publishing Evening's Kingdom, but ah, I just, maybe this is not logical in this day and age. Not that logic is my forte, but I've always wanted to be traditionally published. To experience that, having allies and champions in the magical world of the printed page. So I'm sucking it up. Reading the remaining material aloud for you affords me the chance to do another round of edits on the story, and then I'm getting it back onto submission to literary agents. And if that doesn't work, then maybe some fantasy publishers directly. Being on submission is super suck, but I'm going to look at it as an adventure, and uh, we'll share stories about the process as it goes along with you guys. Now, I've talked about how incredibly awful it is to fail publicly, and yet failing does not mean that we are failures. It means we're learning, and in order to grow, we have to fail. So uh, 
failing slash learning does not mean you are a failure. You're only a failure when you stop trying. And if you stop trying because you're dead, you're still not a failure. (laughs) That's a loophole I decided just now. So more of all that to come. I've started up a progress tracker on eveningskingdom.com where you can observe as I slurk forwards. It's on the about page. Can you tell I'm putting all these things in place to keep myself honest? After I get the submissions once again underway, I am only then allowing myself to resume working on my brand new fantasy series. The first two installments of that are complete and with my first readers now. I don't want to jinx anything, but (laughs) I'm insanely excited about this new story. I think it's the best stuff I've ever written. The story is like X-Files with witches, time travel, and an especially magic cafe. I'd love your thoughts on it. I'd love your community. So calling all fantasy fans, please reach out and say hello via eveningskingdom.com. I'm going to need some extra love this year. Holding bigger space. Staying strong on submission. This is where I always fall down. As an outsider artist, I get ashamed with the rejections. I feel too exposed. I'd rather just start writing new stuff, (laughs) etc., etc. And I shut down. But I have done a lot of work. And with you guys keeping me accountable, I will, eliminating the word try, I will (laughs) persevere. So you can see why I've made a pact with myself that I can't write any more new stuff until I get Evening's Kingdom on submission again. (laughs) It's so tempting to just dive into the new material instead. The new project is a series of interlinked but standalone stories like the X-Files. And as I've been incorporating suggested edits from first readers, I am still allowing myself to do this. Let me live. I would like to thank two amazing, talented artists who are extraordinarily generous with their insights and time as they offer me up very detailed first reads. Brian Burke my longtime dear poet friend, and Hannah Shoup, a very talented oil painter and collage artist who is also a dear friend and a wonderful reader. Thank you both so much. More than anyone on this new project, you guys, I don't know. It feels so good to share the story worlds with you especially. Brian and I have been friends for half my lifetime now. So we grew up together, helped raise each other, rescuing each other more than once, and have always found a mutual solace in art. She is a poet in life and on the page and exists as that rare mix of fire and whimsy. I love and admire you to bits, girl. As an example, in her comments on the text, Brian asked a question regarding the tense of a place, which is also the top secret title of this new fantasy series, which made me realize something I hadn't even considered and in turn sparked an entirely new storyline for a future episode. (laughs) Brian is a talented poet and henna artist. Her Instagram is at henna by Bry. That's H-E-N-N-A by B-Y, Bry, B-R-Y, henna by Bry. She sees the world through a kaleidoscopic lens, dreamy and precise, 
passionately free thinking and also so joyous, so open all at once. And if you're in the Lawrence, Kansas area and are curious about the healing, transformative powers of a henna session, she is your gal at henna by Bri on Instagram. Brian Burke also gifted me very close line edits on Evening's Kingdom, and truly she does have a gift. She is a native doula, and in places where this thing or that thing got a bit muddy, she always saw it, always had the most wonderful concrete suggestions as to how to tighten, ground, etc. Your eye for detail is incredible, Brian. I am grateful, and I just treasure your friendship. As I've mentioned here before, Hannah's Shoop, that's S-H-O-U-P. Hannah is a wondrous oil painter. You can see her work via Instagram at Hannah Shoup Art, H-A-N-A-S-H-O-U-P-A-R-T. And also via my Instagram at Evenings Kingdom. She did the vampire portrait of Andrew and I as aged aristocratic bohemian monsters sitting atop our castle wall against an otherworldly sky. If you're in the Denver area, consider commissioning a portrait from her. She does such sensuous fabrics, and her oil pieces are especially striking in person, so you can see all the lovely old-world details. Or pick up one of her lovely collages. As Hannah picked up in our portrait, and as you may know from my stories, I am supremely partial to villain origin stories. Is she or isn't she a villain stories? And Hannah has a gift for beholding the feral within the everyday, making deliciously unexpected connections within the seemingly mundane that then vaunt into a transcendent, interconnected spell, which is just bewitching. Like Brian, as an editor and a being, Hannah is deeply attuned to nuance and energy. And as this new series underway has a lot of sensory details, I love watching her mind observe these little palaces on the page, letting me know what's working, what's sending her off, my fellow artist into the stratosphere in a successful way or a not so great success way. Those of you who are artists, you know there are some people you want to read before you make your own work. Perhaps the same people that you shouldn't read before bed, etc. if you want to sleep that night. I am pretty elated to be one of those for Hannah, at least some of the time. Hannah provides the little touch here and there, noting where I might want to ground the reader more with this or that spatial reference, what's working, what doesn't. Little side notes on how she feels as she experiences the text, which I just love to know. And gosh, side note, she also dressed up as a Chiriclo this past Halloween, wreathed in beautiful flowing linens, arm bracelets with her eyes painted like double sunsets. I will share the picture to Instagram at eveningskingdom.com. If you love to read fantasy and all this sounds fun, please do say hello. Visit eveningskingdom.com, click subscribe, and once you get the email with all the welcome goodies from me, Right back to let me know you'd also enjoy being a reader. Whether you enjoy giving line edits or you're just interested to follow along a little closer to the bone, I'd love to have you with us on this epic quest. (laughs) Well, that was a long preamble, guys. I am working on not apologizing for being myself, so I will just say, this is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. We 
continue. Uma has a major vision, and the great gathering of Chiriklo from all across the kingdom make their crossing to Ulali to seize back the ancient castle from the occupying Yang forces. Chapter 9 Fern As Fern lay abed in her parents' wagon, every burst of wind against the curved wooden walls made her ache for Owain. She longed for his weight, for his kiss again. Her heart was flurrying like some fire-maddened bird. She couldn't sleep. The next morning, weaving with her mother, Fern still hadn't slept. She was so happy she thought she might never need to sleep again. When we are in Ulali, Fern began, but then did not know what she meant to say. She wanted to confess everything at once, to tell Lelora everything. It all came out jumbled up at once, about love, freedom, joy, how she felt so excited to find out what would happen next, and yet this impossible deliciousness in having to wait. I feel so happy, she said. I just can't stop smiling. Lelora smiled at her daughter, listening. Ogadai had told her there was a boy. As Fern went on, she wove quickly, her piece filling skyward within its frame of shaved poles. Perhaps if there are trees in Ulali, she said, I can build my own wagon there. Usually that is not done until you pair with another, my Fern, Lelora said. Uma did, Fern said. Lelora paused thoughtfully working the shuttle through her own loom. That is true. For a moment, the song of their whispering threads was the only sound in the quiet morning. The sound sent tingles rushing down Fern's scalp. After what felt like an eternity, Lelora shrugged lightly. I'll speak to your father, she said. Oh, thank you! Thank you! Fern threw her arms around her mother. If Lelora asked Ogadai for anything, anything at all, he would do it. A wagon raising just for her. Hugging her mother tightly, Fern felt a thousand things, imagining how it would be to have a place all her own. And then she was thinking of Owain again. But loving a man ultimately meant children. Fern understood the seasons of love, how bedding led to children just as a hot winter's fire led to the rains of spring. Fern loved her younger brothers, but how many times had she watched her mother put her weaving aside the moment the boys toddled out of bed? Every time. Every single time. Fern loved to weave, loved to do so all night if she wished, lit by the light of the moon, weaving down the spells she'd learned in the cloud forest and from Uma, even what she'd learned from Ogo's death. There was so much to say and experience with her art and so little time to say it. She found herself trying to explain all this to Lelora, and her mother was nodding. I know I must sound crazy, Fern said. I've only just met him. It scares me, Mama, how much I like him. Mama. Fern hadn't called Lelora that in years. The older woman sat back. If you find a beloved who believes in your dreams, who wants you to dream them, and this is important, Fern, you must love and hold space for their dreams, too. Then you can both hold space for each other to pursue your art and your family, Lelora said. Usually not at the same time, 
When you focus on one thing, you can't focus on any other. But that makes all the threads of our lives strong, Fern. Balanced, like the roots and branches of a strong tree, each informs and deepens and nourishes the other. Just as a tree needs both roots and branches, so we all need both love and art. Life is art and family is art. Our family is one of the most wonderful things I've ever created. If I can tell you only one thing, my girl, it is this. When it is true, we don't fall in love. We rise. Then Lelora darkened, looking away towards the horizon. Not that having a family is easy, of course, she said. You're thinking of your skyweaving, Fern said. It was not a question. She knew the story. Her mother was weaving it the day she first met Ogadai. The piece was Lelora's luck and great joy, and when her parents were as young as Fern was now, they'd kept it hung inside on the arched ceiling of their wagon called Spellwalker, its bone shadow fringes drifting down the walls, filmy as mist. Fern's earliest memories were of watching the fringe of the sky weaving rain back and forth across their open windows, a gentle cloud endlessly scudding overhead like a shape from dreams. Sometimes, before a big rain, her parents took down the weaving and hung it outside to be washed in the storm. The piece always took days to dry afterwards. Seeing it outside was like having a dream awake in the daylight world. The sky weaving was Lelora's masterpiece, more real than anything else around it. The way fairy tales are truer than true, and ideas are most beautiful at birth, before translation dilutes them as if that old, delicious idea. For a heartbeat, you could remember your face before you were born. Lelora's weaving was the heart of the sky itself made tangible, and though her mother never said so, Fern knew it was the single thing Lelora was proudest of, for it was the one single thing she'd never considered trading away. The weaving had burnt the night Ogo died because of Fern's wild catlings. Fern looked down hotly, but Lelora was already reaching out to her. For me, Lelora said softly, cupping her daughter's face in her hand, this is irreducible. Our love as a family. I am proud of you, Fern. Fern would remember this moment many times throughout her life. She would wonder at what point a person became a mother, was it when one carried a child? Was it the moment she gave birth, her own flesh, and opened a door into the waking world? For the first time, Fern realized it happened much earlier. It was the moment a person decided to make their life a gift, and thereby mother beauty into the world. I don't deserve it, Fern said. I've never done anything to deserve the way you love me. She shook her head, thinking of her lost brother. I've made so many mistakes. Lelora kissed her forehead. I'm proud of you. Just as you are, you are more than enough. Just as you are. We all make mistakes. But we are not our mistakes. Remember that. Fern tried to smile. Not even Tulu? Of course not even Tulu. Lelora laughed. But he loves his mistakes. Perhaps that's the difference. 
Chapter 10 Things went on like that all those last days of summer. Garments loosening and tongues. The Chiriclo healers, musicians, warriors, traders, and executioners all camped together in the ticking heat just beyond the great singing sands. They would begin their crossing towards Ulali with the new moon. Uma slipped into her medicine cart, missing Orayaku. She thought of his wagon as they left it behind them there at the base of the cloud forest. The jungle would be claiming it now, endlessly tugging at wheels with vines. And Orayaku's velvets, his collection of seeds and jars of unmixed paint, and the murals he was so proud of, if he didn't come down from the abbey to claim those things, the jungle would eat it all. Somehow, she knew he would let it. He has everything he needs, Uma thought. She hoped so. She closed her eyes. The hot season was a migratory time for fish on the coast. The Yang soldiers occupying Ulali would be feasting and lazy. The Chiriklo planned to attack in the black of a moonless night, catching the occupiers off guard. Uma was elated thinking of this. How she would wet her homeland with butcher's blood and black the sands ten times over for every Wutar lost to the world. And yet, all these many seasons, how many Yang wanderers had she healed on their journey here? Some of them could even be within Ulali now. Not all the soldiers could possibly be bad. She knew this. She was beginning to understand. It wasn't the individual Yang that she hated. It was their collective all of them acting together on the orders of the king. The king. He was the one Uma hated, with every drop of blood in her body. Nor tensing, she flushed with rage, thinking of him, stood before her open window. It was a hot, airless night. Two surviving Wutar, the old villager had said. Uma couldn't even remember the last time she'd seen a Wutar face outside her dreams. She slumped back against the wall, gazing at the curls of smoke drifting up from her altar, and then slowly returned to her small bed, sitting upright. She bowed her head, great serpent of the south. Will you watch over me as I undertake this journey? Yes. Uma smiled at the sound of the gentle, metallic voice she'd come to love as her spirit mother. Beloved black catling of the west, will you watch over me as I journey? Uma felt his answering energy prowl into her own, his body within hers, powerful and assured, and her own gaze sharpened. Yes, came the words, I am with you. Great hummingbird of the deep north, will you watch over me as I journey? Yes. The mighty guardian over the realm of the ancestors took her place aligning with the others for Uma's journey. Father Eagle of the East, please, will you watch over me as I undertake my journey? And Uma felt him too, sweeping down last of all to be with her, the enormous spirit shading her beneath his wings as he settled in to watch over her. I am here. The god Laxus had taught Uma how to access both the higher and lower shamanic worlds for guidance and healing. He had explained that every seeker must create their own mental map of the shamanic levels and secret ways to access them. For clarity, Laxus told her, 
It was best to journey from and return to the same jumping-off place each time, so that one did not become lost in shamanic realms. Uma almost always jumped off into the upper world from the fallen tree in her childhood's courtyard, which now lived on in energetic realms. Nearly every branch of this tree was taller than five wagons laid end to end. Unsettled nests and blooms and leaves lay all around it, like the living ashfall from a massive explosion. In ordinary reality, not even a stump remained in the long-destroyed courtyard. But for Uma, its eternal essence was her portal. It was from this same tree where Uma also jumped down into the lower world. She let her mind go now to the tree, and then melt and root down through it, until the soil widened and she fell, landing softly on the wide, silent beach of the first lower world she'd come to know so well. It was populated by otherworldly beings, all drifting about in the air like great jellyfish. Uma bowed low, knowing they were all keenly aware of her. With great respect, she said, I am here to learn. She began to walk the beach cautiously as the beings parted before her. A soft, enormous creature, its shapeless body of floating decay, suddenly leapt up her legs hungrily. Uma pulled back in terror before mastering herself. She must not show fear in this place, for Laxus had warned her. She would be devoured. She made her voice full and strong. Are you my teacher? The monster retracted back into the water, watching her. Uma walked on, passing between malevolent darknesses which drifted, seemingly aimlessly, each one as large as all her caravan put together, but none approached. Then came an enormous wave, and Uma was inside it, letting it take her. Are you my teacher? She asked it. The water held Uma, flooding her nose and mouth. It drowned her body in the spirit realm until she was freed and weightless. Uma watched as a passing creature caught the shell of discarded flesh up in its mouth, crunching into it with a spray of blood. But that was irrelevant. The flesh had nothing to do with Uma any longer. Her physical body often died in spirit realms, in any number of violent ways. Witnessing these deaths was always curiously freeing, an energetic lesson in letting go. Uma drifted in her freedom for a long time, enjoying the float. Then she rose back up the shamanic tunnel again, but this time she saw a separate horizon, one filled with light and just above the beach. She let her spirit flow towards it. She saw a huge, pale being of light, so tall it seemed endless as she stared up at it, only to realize the being was staring down at her, too, though it was faceless. It lifted her in its palm and cradled her against its chest, sending warmth all through Uma's body. Are you my teacher? Uma said. The thing was silent, still holding her. Uma felt love radiating from it in answer, and she radiated love back in return. Then the massive light being let Uma see its true face. It was empty, save for a wide circular mouth of fanged blackness, like a gigantic lamprey, and fear stabbed through Uma. Not everything good is beautiful, the being said to her, lovingly, lifting Uma towards its mouth. She remembered she no longer had a body anyway, and once she was inside its mouth, 
The teeth and jaws closed carefully behind her. Uma felt it lurch up once again, her still inside it. Inside the being was a new universe, sparkling with stars and clear floating beings. Uma drifted amongst them in awe. There was so much to see, and yet it was all too enormous to comprehend. She merely witnessed, could not define, and then a tall, lean creature approached through the dark, his wide hat and cape glinting with their own silver light. He was snake-headed and bright-eyed, with the body of a long-legged man. He picked Uma's spirit body up and wordlessly placed her atop his shoulder, and together they set out again into the dark. Uma saw that tiny, leech-like creatures were sucking at his neck, and silently she picked these off him, carefully putting them into her spirit bag to seal away for later, where they could no longer do anyone harm. The snake-headed man spoke. In this space, such an act of kindness is submission. Is it not good to submit to the world of spirit? Uma said. I am here to learn. I say this to you with respect. He plucked Uma off his shoulder and held her in his palm, studying her. His round eyes gleamed like separate, moonless seas. The benefit of remaining bodied, he said, of never submitting to the mystery, is that you continue to learn. Only so long as you keep yourself separate, Uma said. He smiled. No, you are here after all. I am not so separate from you. But I only teach those who seek. What have you come here to learn? Ask me your question. I have no questions. I came to learn whatever would be taught to me, Uma said, wondering silently. She dared not ask, Are you Laxus? Are you one who is like Laxus? And you thought a lesson would simply be fed to you? He said sharply. Uma took a deep breath. I want to know if we will retake Ulali. But the very moment she spoke her words... Uma felt his answer dawn inside her bones, as if the victory had already taken place. But I feel this now. Yes, we will. You are truly giving me a gift in this surety you share with me. I thank you. He nodded. It is nothing. There are priestesses for such things. Come back to me when you have a question. You who dare come to us as a child so vulnerable. There was admiration in his voice as he lifted Uma in his hand, all the way back up the tunnel, returning her towards the roots of her tree. I only come to learn, she said quietly. And you do well, he said, releasing her. You are beloved of the gods, Uma. I understand how it must feel to be a god when I remember my past, she said boldly. In my memories, I know everything that will come to pass. I can see it all clearly everything that will happen, and with such tenderness. As gods, you know everything that is yet to happen. And all of you, I say this with great respect, you gods love to watch us suffer, even our most painful lessons. I know you take pleasure in it. Why? He paused. Think of it as a game. A game of energy. Each of us Every aspect of life, gods and green things, tribes of men and women, each aspect is but individuated energy. We are all faucets, masks of the same thing, the same energy. So, 
It is fascinating to watch oneself, to watch oneself learn, becoming more. Am I in every iteration? Uma said, leaning against the trunk of her tree. Do I always occur at this moment in history? He shook his head. <laughs> Seekers, you all ask the same question. No, of course not. You are not in every iteration, nor am I. But you do know everything regardless. Everything that will happen. Even the iterations of futures where you never existed and never will. He bowed his head. It is my honor. How does it end? Suddenly, a leaf was in his hand, which was not there before. He twirled it before her. Darkness, light, darkness. Perhaps, he said, it has already ended. Or perhaps it ended before it began. Yet, it began without ending. Perhaps, little Uma, it is all up to you, he released her. And perhaps not. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Follow the show on Spotify, and if you're listening on an iPhone, please go to the page which shows all the episodes for Evening's Kingdom, scroll down in your app, and click five stars. I really appreciate it. If you love fantasy and zen vibes, don't forget to visit me at eveningskingdom.com. Subscribe, enjoy more of my stories, guided meditations, and my epic embodiment course, Alchemizing Anxious Energies, which I made specifically for artists and my fellow highly strung, highly empathetic, highly stressed out people. I see you. I love you. I am you. This course has guided meditations, including some to help you fall asleep, and journaling practices, holding the channel for you to heal your own self and discover who you really are. Each exercise feels so good, soothing and expansively layers upon the next as you journey more deeply into yourself through the course. Some people are running through it multiple times, just going deeper and deeper each time. Voyage into your subconscious, meet your deepest self, and heal. Experience, integrate, rise, calm, and centered in full embodiment of all your powers. You are the universe experiencing itself. Feel what it wants you to feel. So boop over to eveningskingdom.com and enjoy. May it bring you calm. Please stay tuned. More from me is just down the road.